0: Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac!
1: You blew it up!
0: Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Kricorian. I'm Executive Director of the Center. And we have on the show today, John Feary, who's an analyst with CIS. He was a longtime staffer at ICE as well. And specifically, we're talking about a part of what ICE is supposed to be responsible for that people don't think about, specifically foreign students. And John will go into that in some detail, but the oversight, not the issuing the visas part, but the oversight of foreign students who are here making sure that, you know, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're going to school and all the rest of that, that's actually overseen by a division within ICE. And Uh, Maybe I should put overseen in quotation marks because it's not overseen particularly well or zealously. And there was something in the news recently that shined a little bit of light on the problems in the foreign student program. And I wanted John to talk about it and shed some light on this. John, thanks for coming on. And if you could tell us what the issue is, in other words, why did this end up in the news? What's sort of the news hook? And then, you know, why is it important?
1: This is a very interesting story, and it has profound implications for the future of Columbia University's foreign student program, and also raises a lot of questions about the integrity of ICE's foreign student division. So what popped up in the news recently was an article in the New York Post about a lawsuit filed by Columbia University's designated school official, or DSO. DSOs are employees of schools, every school that enrolls foreign students has one. And these individuals are expected to provide DHS, provide ICE with information about the foreign students that they've enrolled. And this is a very critical position. This is a job that DHS relies on very heavily because ICE can't be everywhere. DHS can't be everywhere. And yet we have 15,000 campuses across the country that are hosting, enrolling foreign students. And the lawsuit from this DSO, she was fired. She claims she was wrongfully terminated. And she claims that she was fired because she didn't bend the rules to the liking of her higher-ups at Columbia University. And the issue here is one of national security importance. According to the lawsuit, This DSO was told to not report to DHS that a number of foreign students were enrolled part-time. They had to be enrolled full-time for the most part. She claims that she was accused of being too inflexible in the application of these federal regulations.
0: So this person, the the DSO technically, in other words, basically the university's liaison with Homeland Security was told by Columbia University, her bosses at Columbia, to lie to the federal government. That's basically what it boils down to, right?
1: That's right. And there are very, very serious national security implications here, as should be obvious, because this information that DSOs provide to DHS is captured in a program called SEVIS. This is the Student and Exchange Visitor Information System. This is the most significant database created in the wake of the 9-11 terrorist attacks for the very purpose of making sure the government's keeping track of who these individuals are, if they're going to class, where they're studying, what they're studying, their addresses, and so forth, so that in the instance that they stop going to class or they're not going full-time when they're supposed to be, ICE, DHS, can act. It may be the case that these people have decided they entered as a student, but eh, they don't want to go to class anymore. They're going to go and work illegally somewhere. Or maybe they're up to something more nefarious. Maybe they are planning some sort of an attack on the homeland. And that's the reason for SEVIS to exist.
0: This was created in the wake of nine eleven, like you said, because a number of the nine eleven hijackers had come in as some kind of foreign students.
1: Yeah, one of them was on a foreign student visa. And of course, some of them were going to flight schools when they shouldn't have been. Yep. Basically, there was an effort to try and keep tabs on all these people. Now, we should point out that, as I mentioned, there's 15,000 campuses that ICE, SEPP, has certified to enroll foreign students. And as of 2021, there are 1.2 million foreign students in the country, and also an additional over 240,000 exchange visitors who are more or less managed by the State Department, but they're still recorded within SEVIS. So we're talking about a lot of people to try and keep track of. And that's why ICE and DHS have to rely on these DSOs. The fact that this fraud, if true, is occurring at an Ivy League school is something that people should be very concerned about. This is a top-notch school. In fact, it's number three in the nation in terms of total number of foreign students enrolled.
0: And the point is it's not some fly-by-night thing that's just making money off of foreign students. We've written a lot on that. David North, one of our colleagues, has written a lot about these sort of questionable schools who are really more in the business of giving work permits to foreign students than actually educating people. Obviously, Colombia is not like that. This is a real university, and they're still having these kind of fraud problems, potentially.
1: Right. And I'm also concerned about the fact that the only reason we're even aware of this is because a DSO had an ethical core and decided to push back on her superiors. It'd be very easy for a lot of DSOs to say, well, I mean, my bosses are telling me to do X, Y, and Z. I've got to do it. Well, this DSO pushed back, allegedly. And not only that, they decided to fire her, which maybe didn't have to happen, but it did. And then not only that, she decided she was going to sue. And then not only that, the New York Post decided to keep up on local litigation and write a story about it. All of these things had to happen for us to even be talking about it. And I wonder whether or not ICE's foreign student division was even aware of this occurring. And my guess is they probably would not have been able to
0: detect it. Right. Essentially, this is probably the tip of the iceberg. And even this tip wouldn't have been visible to ICE because they're not doing their jobs here. And the interesting point, you were talking about all the things that had to happen for this one case to come to light and that, you know, in a lot of cases, these... School officials who are responsible for reporting the information to ICE, you know, their bosses are telling them to look the other way and bend the rules and the rest of it. But I think what to sort of add to that is that a lot of these people, these are university administrators, frankly, they probably don't believe all that much in the legitimacy of immigration laws anyway. And so they're going to be, I mean, I suspect very strongly that there's going to be, at least in some cases, a kind of ideological predisposition to lie to Homeland Security if they think they can get away with it.
1: Yeah, and that's the big question. Can they get away with it? Right. And I, I think that brings us to the question of the integrity of the entire foreign student program and what SEVP, the Student and Exchange Visitor Program, in ICE is going to do next. So if you look at the regulation that controls all of this, Again, it is ICE that decides whether or not a school should be certified to enroll a foreign student. And it's been my opinion that the certification process is way too generous, that ICE has certified way too many schools, and that there aren't enough resources, there isn't enough oversight to be certifying as many schools as it has. And the standards are not great either. You have to have classroom space, you have to offer courses, there are a number of things. But one point that SCPP would make to me frequently is that, look, we're not in the business of judging whether or not it's a good school. So it might not be a great school. (laughs) And I get that. You know, DHS is not the Department of Education. But you have to make sure that you're certifying schools that you know are legitimate and that aren't going to turn into visa mills. But again, we're talking about Columbia University here, not a school that you expect to engage in this type of fraud. So here's the thing. Under the regulation, schools that are certified have to be recertified every two years. And for most schools, it's just more or less automatic. However, ICE can do what is called an out-of-cycle review. And I suspect that's what's going to happen here. Because under the regulation, certification of a school will be withdrawn, that's a direct quote, will be withdrawn if the school or school system is determined to no longer be entitled to certification for any valid and substantive reason, end quote. That's a very generous regulatory phrasing, and the regulation does go into examples as to why a school might lose its certification to enroll foreign students. And that includes things like failure to keep records on where the student is not pursuing a full course of study, which is exactly what is alleged to have taken place here. And it's very likely, if SCPP is doing its job, if ICE is allowed to do its job under this administration, it is very likely that Columbia University will have its certification to enroll foreign students withdrawn, which means at least for a period of a year, they will not be able to enroll. New foreign students. And that's something that Columbia University,
0: of course, would want to avoid. How likely is that, though, under the Biden administration? I mean, you said that the regs are pretty clear and broad and give ICE, you know, pretty broad authority, but ICE can't even, I mean, they're not even allowed by this White House to go and uh, deport criminals, for heaven's sake. So I don't know. It just, how likely do you think that is? And is there some way for this to happen that, you know, they could get away with without the White House? Stomping on them.
1: Most likely, SEVP will make some phone calls and enter into what I will call discussions, hmm. light negotiations with Columbia University and explain to them why this is a problem. And Columbia will probably say, oh, don't worry, we won't do it again. And that might be the end of it. Right. But the problem is, and let me just read this one line out of the regulation. It says SEVP will. Initiate an out of cycle review and serve the school with a notice of intent to withdraw if SCPP has information that a school or school system may no longer be entitled to SCPP certification. Well, if they find any information, again, that's a a very clear thing and a clear phrasing in that regulation. They will initiate it or review. So I don't know how they can avoid this. And I think what's complicated for SCPP too is that. This isn't just some claim. This is actual litigation. It's in the courts. right? And likely uh, Columbia will try and settle with this person, this DSO. But if they don't, or maybe if the individual demands too much, too high of a settlement amount, and it goes through an actual hearing, then in a sense, the court will likely have to conclude that this DSO had a valid reason to claim to be a whistleblower and have a valid defense. right? The law is a little complicated dealing with state law and the way it might be interpreted from a federal regulatory standpoint. Obviously, the two don't necessarily go hand in hand. But if you have a legal decision that includes findings that Columbia University seem to act unlawfully, then that is information that SEVP would seem to have at their disposal. How can they not act on it? I'm not sure.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> how can they? I they open the border to pretty much anyone who walks across. Uh, but along these lines, though, are there members of Congress who are attuned to this issue? Because the administration is going to want this to go away because this is probably just the tip of the iceberg. And if there's more attention drawn to it, then it becomes clear how big a problem this probably is. Are there members of Congress who have stepped up on this issue or talked about the potential security or just general immigration problems with the foreign student program?
1: There are, and they look at it from a national security standpoint, which is a a legitimate way to be looking at this issue. I think that if they were to discover that ICE does nothing on this, that will send a strong message to other schools that the regulation is just not going to be enforced, which should raise the concern of Congress even more. I mean, I think that the integrity of SEVP is on the line here. I think that in their own interests, they should, if these allegations are true, they should absolutely pull down that certification for a year, even if it's just for the graduate program within Columbia University, which is one possibility, I
0: would imagine. Right. And it was one school within Columbia, right? Was it the business school? Which school was it? It was uh... was the uh, teacher's college. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So conceivably, they could just withdraw it from the teacher's college graduate level for one year. But even that would be something.
1: It would be. And it would send a very strong message to the rest of Columbia University and many other schools. That type of a decision from SCVP would absolutely be discussed in all of the academic blogs, all of the news outlets that follow academia. And that would have a, actually very positive effect on the integrity of the program, I do believe. If they don't do it, well... <laughs> It's not going to be good. That'll
0: be noticed, too, basically, is what you're saying.
1: Uh, That's right. And, you know, one thing that we've talked about previously, I think it's worth bringing up again here, is the fact that we did have an operation that was initiated under the Trump administration called Operation Optical Illusion, which looked at the optional practical training program and the inherent fraud there.
0: Which is, just to explain what that is and why it's just an extension of the foreign student program.
1: Yeah, the optional practical training program, OPT, allows foreign students who graduate to obtain work permits so they can work up to three years beyond graduation. We call it training. They're training in their field of study for a
0: period of three years. And they're still under their foreign student visas. That's the thing. They're not given work visas. They're They're basically masquerading as students but become workers.
1: That's right. And that has become an incentive for foreign students to come here in the first place. It's not so much the education, that's fine, but it's really the opportunity to work for three years in the United States if they're in a STEM field, for example. And they can, of course, have that three-year work period extended. There's actually two three-year work periods if they go on and get a second
0: degree. Just to make sure, because again, our colleague David North always wants to stress, people who are supposedly training, like interns or something, under optical practical training are actually subsidized by the taxpayer because their employers don't have to pay social security or medicare taxes for them
1: yeah when congress wrote the tax code the understanding was that foreign students were here to be students that's the point of a student visa they're here to study and then go home and so when the opt came along developed at the request of microsoft's bill gates as a means to do an end run around the h1b annual caps the law. Within our tax code didn't adjust, so you have people who are here still on foreign student visas working, but not taxable.
0: So what happened with this optical illusion, this enforcement effort that ICE had done? This was under this was the end of the Trump administration, right?
1: Yes, we discovered that there was a large amount of fraud within the OPT program. You had thousands of foreign students who were reporting into CV into DHS, the same system we're looking at here that they were working at a certain location that didn't exist. In other words, fake named employers. Right. Where are these people? What are they doing? And we started digging into that. Some arrests were made. It was part of a very large operation that had been initiated, but that seems to have come to a standstill as soon as President Biden was sworn in. So if they're not going after extremely obvious fraud of that nature, and if i are not going to go after Columbia University, assuming these allegations are true, then we have some very, very serious things to think about in terms of the future of this foreign student program as a whole.
0: If this is the case, what kind of fixes could there be? Because first of all, is there something Congress can do? And secondly, I know there's been at least talk of moving the whole foreign student oversight process to USCIS, and ICE kind of resisted that at least a number of years ago. So what are some ways that the oversight of foreign students could be improved, either statutorily or, you know, administratively?
1: I think you have to take some pretty bold steps. I think optional practical training, for example, needs to be cut back dramatically. Instead of a three-year training program, it really should be somewhere around a six-month training program. Right. There's not many jobs out there that are, you, know, you train at for more than six months, if even. That makes it more manageable. It creates less national security and labor market impact if it's a six month program. I think also you might want to think about the total number of foreign students that we allow in. I mean, some of these schools years ago had about 15, 20% of their student body made up of foreign students. Now it's 30, 35%, 40%. It's starting to grow very quickly.
0: Yeah. And you listed in your blog post talking about this issue that we'll link to in the show notes. You said Columbia University is the third in the nation for the largest number of foreign students behind NYU and Northeastern. Each of them has close to twenty thousand foreign students, just foreign students. We're not even talking about all the American students that are there. Twenty thousand foreign students each. That just seems frankly a lot that we're letting in.
1: Right. And I think one of the things that maybe should be considered as well is a limit on how many schools are actually certified by SEVP. It feels like a bit of a runaway train where they don't feel they have a reason to not certify a school as long as it exists. Right. That's kind of how they described it to me. Well, as long as it exists, it's a real school. Uh, I said, okay, but you guys need to certify the number of schools that you feel you can provide appropriate oversight for. Well, I, I think Congress can say, look, there's a limit. Uh, right. However, one thing Congress did do is allow SEVP to raise fees. Most federal agencies are funded through appropriations. Congress gives a pile of taxpayer money to a agency, and that's the money they use to run operations for the year. Some agencies, like USCIS, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, they're a fee-funded agency, so they make a lot of their money off the actual applications. People apply, they pay a $50 fee, $150 fee, whatever it might be, and that is used to manage things. Well, SEVP at ICE, the Foreign Student Division, actually does have the capacity to raise fees.
0: And then keep that money and use them, right?
1: That's right. And the schools pay the fees, the students pay the fees in the application process, and that money can be raised to the appropriate level that is necessary to provide appropriate oversight. And one thing that we did initiate, also stopped by the Biden administration, was an effort to raise fees just a touch in order to hire more special agents. These are Homeland Security Investigations, HSI, special agents. SEVP falls with an HSI. And the goal was to hire more agents to be able to go out and do audits, to visit the campuses, to make sure that things are on the up and up. Well, it's a perfectly rational thing to do. The last time ICE, SEVP, raised fees for the purposes of hiring law enforcement officers was in 2008, I believe. Obviously, the number of schools had grown dramatically since then, and yet no interest in hiring more special agents. So we initiated that fee rule. And of course,
0: Biden gets sworn in and they pull it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, even if they raise the money and hire people ostensibly to deal with this, there's still ICE, HSI agents. They could very just easily just send them off to go do something else, you know, counterfeiting or the other things they prefer doing to anything related to immigration?
1: Theoretically, they could, yes. And a lot of them who have been hired under SUVP fee rules in the past are doing work other than foreign student work, but I do believe that that is unlawful, and we did raise that issue while I was on the inside, trying to pull some of these special agents back to the thing that they were hired to oversee. I'm guessing since uh, I'm no longer there, since we have a new administration with new priorities, a lot of the special agencies are probably back to working on things other than foreign student fraud. People should be a little bit concerned about that.
0: Is there legal action that could be taken? I mean, several times you've referred to things that the regulation seems to require them to do. But, you know, require is a word without teeth unless there's somebody who can do something about it. Obviously, Congress, I mean, the current majorities in Congress aren't going to do anything about it. Is there any kind of outsides? Basically, is there lawsuit potential here?
1: Yeah, I think that we're getting close to that point where an outside group probably would consider filing a lawsuit if they see SEVP not upholding its own regulations. It's not a great way to do business. You would like to have these agencies doing their jobs, but obviously, we've seen lawsuits in a lot of other contexts. So I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Right. Now, what about the idea of USCIS taking over the foreign student responsibility? I'm, I'm not sure that would be a good idea or not, but I know people have talked about that before. And it, it might make a little more sense in the sense that ICE, they're cops, basically. But what are your thoughts on that? Would that make it better? Might it even make it worse? What do you think?
1: I was never an advocate of having it moved over to USCIS. There is a fraud division within USCIS, and they have a lot of applications and benefits that they have to oversee, plenty of fraud in a number of benefits systems. I think it's important for foreign student fraud to be overseen by law enforcement officers. Guys go out there with their badges and actually make arrests if necessary. I think that HSI's investigative authorities are very broad and also very good. These are people who know how to do a worksite investigation, for example, which is important when we're talking about foreign students who are working in OPT, for example. I would hate to see that area of focus be moved to a location where you have people who are not able to make arrests.
0: They're basically service. I mean, they're, you know, their job is to kind of rubber stamp applications to some degree. I mean, that's the way it's turned into now anyway.
1: And I will say too, you know, there were instances where USCIS had a lot of evidence of fraud and they would send it over to HSI to go and and do the work of making an arrest anyhow, in, in other contexts. Right. So if that's going to be sent to HSI anyhow, they might as well be the ones that are doing the investigation
0: at the outset. Yeah, no, that's a good point. One thing that, in a sense, we haven't really touched on, I don't know, I don't remember all the details on this, but you know, before 9-11, when there was a foreign student sort of angle to the story, was the uh, Iran hostage crisis in the late 70s. And I remember the first thing the White House did was try to get, back then it was INS, to give them a report on how many Iranian students there were in the United States, because there were thousands of them, and in Iran the Ayatollah's you know, movement was supported by these student movements. They're the ones supposedly who took the hostages, American hostages over there. And if I remember correctly, INS wasn't able to get him get the White House account of how many foreign students there were until after the hostages had been released. Uh, in other words, they had no handle at all of the number and you know location and all that of foreign students and in a sense that kind of contributed to 9-11 but we don't seem to really learned the lesson here because even though we now have systems in place that could do a better job of that we're not taking care of those systems
1: yeah there's no follow-through there's no audits is the way i would put it right we have this information about the number of students what countries they're from where they're going to school—that's information that's available on ICE.gov. I made sure that the SCVP data page included a number of lengthy data sets on all this information, including where they were working right. uh, if, for those who are on OPT. But under the Biden administration, we've moved backwards on transparency. This is yet another example of transparency going downhill, and SCVP has not put information on the website regarding the places of employment. And I think that's really problematic because if SEVP and HSI are not out there visiting these employers and making sure that the students are where they are, if they're not conducting robust audits, then putting the information out for the public is at least something. Maybe someone who's working at one of these places will see the data and maybe they will say, wait a second, this does not add up. It's obviously not the way you want to do business there either. But if they're not posting the information publicly, is that data even being looked at closely on the inside? And I suspect it isn't. I can tell you as part of the OPT investigation, Operation Optical Illusion, it was obvious that there were a number of fake employers on the list. Some of these company names just didn't exist. And yet, for years, for years, people who were on foreign student visas were reporting these companies to DHS as their place of employment, reporting into the system. And apparently nobody thought to look at it and say, oh, gosh, hmm, this company doesn't sound real. Oh, hmm, I just Googled around, doesn't look real at all, so address doesn't even match up. People weren't doing detailed audits of the data that was coming in. So it's nice to collect data. That's the first step. Right. But then you actually got to go through it. And not only that, the obvious stuff, like fake employer names, is one thing. And even that wasn't really being caught. But legitimate sounding employer names are another issue. If a a foreign national says that they are working at Google or Amazon, okay, it sounds legit. But do we know in fact that they are? Are we going and visiting those employers? Are we conducting audits? Are we questioning them to make sure that these 3,000 people that claim to be working at their place of employment are actually there? That type of very detailed auditing is not happening to the scale that it needs to be.
0: Yeah, and even, I mean, like you said, even the most obvious steps toward integrity of the system aren't being taken. You know, you can report that you're working at Mickey Mouse Industries or something and nobody bothers to even check whether that exists. That really is an indication of the ability to violate the rules here with impunity. And it kind of suggests why Columbia University would tell their employee to bend the rules because it's like, yeah, you know, nobody knows, nobody cares. Nobody does that to the IRS. People are cheating the IRS. They need to be serious about it because the IRS is serious about it. You know, it seems to me in the oversight of foreign students, the universities themselves not only probably chafe at the idea, Of oversight of foreign students because they're kind of no borders. Everybody should be able to do anything they want. But they're also all but guaranteed that nothing's going to happen to them. So, you know, one example of somebody being punished could potentially have a salutary effect on compliance by a lot of these other, as you call them, designated school officials, the liaisons, the university liaisons with ICE.
1: I'd agree with you 100% on that, creating deterrence, creating compliance. These are all important parts of basic law enforcement. And I think it's very important that DHS, HSI, SEPP, and everyone at ICE start taking this much more seriously. Because one of the things that I would point out to them was that the fraud is bad from a national security standpoint. There's a public safety issue. There are labor concerns. But at the end of it all, if, if those don't move you, your own systems, your own integrity, your own program is really on the line here because bad things are happening behind the scenes. And we don't know how bad those things are or how how bad they're going to get. But at a certain point, when things really, really do hit the fan, Congress is going to come asking questions. And they're going to want to know, were you doing investigations? Were you doing audits? What did those look like? And if not, why not? And I don't think that HSI special agents want to be the ones Sitting there in front of Congress saying, well, we could have done better. Well, no, they know what they need to do. The regulation is clear. The fraud is obvious. And they have to start doing something about it.
0: So basically, what you're saying is if nothing else, at least bureaucratic self preservation suggests they need to be more alert to this and more active on it because, you know, when something does happen, and like you said, it's pretty likely something's going to happen bad that has a nexus to the foreign student system. A lot of people are going to be looking for someone to blame, and that blame may be properly directed, or it may just be scapegoat, but the point is it's ICE overseeing the foreign student system that people are going to, like you said, call before Congress and ask questions to. So if nothing else, to avoid that kind of nightmare scenario for a federal employee, they need to be doing their jobs better. That's right. 100%. Yep. Well, thanks for coming on and keep up with this lawsuit. We can't rely on the New York Post to, uh, to protect America. Uh, you know, we have to keep after this as well. And there's plenty more on this foreign student issue. I think there's a huge amount of policy-related discussion that has to take place and research because this is part of the immigration system that just doesn't get talked about. Everybody kind of thinks, well, foreign students are great. What's the problem? This is a real issue that, you know, a future Congress and a future administration that are actually interested in integrity of the immigration system are going to have to take a serious, hard second look at. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me, Mark. And finally, I wanted to talk about a story uh, that the Washington Post ran recently. It was pretty interesting about law enforcement tracking down and deporting criminal aliens. The Post sent a Spanish-speaking reporter and photographer and embedded them with officers that were tracking down a particular guy. And then, you know, they use that as sort of the framing for the rest of the story. They were tracking this guy who's wanted for murder. His name was Damian Ariza Salinas. And the reporter talked to the officers doing the tracking. And one of them asked him about sort of, you know, what's his thinking? Why does he do this? And one of them said, quote, we don't want a bunch of criminals in our community, unquote. And they were tracking, the story said they were tracking some people who were accused of drug trafficking, murder, one accused of pedophilia. The lead officer in the team who was tracking the criminal aliens had pictures on his phone of all of the criminal aliens that he had caught. The reporter called it Digital Trophy Gallery. It was kind of interesting. And it talked about how they use social media to track these people to find out where they are, and they get tips and they talk to witnesses, all of that sort of thing. Really interesting, when they got one of the, the guys they were talking about, this Salinas character, he said in his own language, he said, I came here for a better life. And one of the law enforcement guys who grabbed him said, uh, you know, he should learn the language. And he said, well, everybody tells me that. The interesting thing is that these were not American immigration agents. These were Mexican law enforcement tracking American criminal aliens in Mexico because there's a lot of knuckleheads who think that they can just make a run for the border like this is some John Wayne movie and get into Mexico and then they're home free. But Mexico doesn't want criminal aliens. And that's what these guys are. They're aliens. They're foreigners in Mexico and they're criminals. So there's this group. It's actually the unit is colloquially known as the gringo hunters. They look for these American criminal aliens and deport them back to the united states because they're deportable there's no you know rigamarole about appealing and hearings and all the rest of that they grab them they drive them to the border and they hand them over to our people and nobody in this story not the reporter not any of the mexican law enforcement involved seemed to think there was anything wrong with deporting undesirable foreigners at least from mexico it's too bad that the biden administration doesn't take the same view about undesirable aliens being deported from the United States. And that's it for this week's Parsing Immigration Policy. This is Mark Gregorian. If you get this podcast on any of the platforms that allow you to rank or review the podcast, please leave a rating or a review. And if you have any questions, feel free to just email me directly at msk at I hope you tune in next week.